Stupid. Stuart Little by E.B. White Read for Samuel, Catherine and Lucy by Daddy I love you Chapter 1 In the Drain <laughs> In the Drain When Mrs. Frederick C. Little's second son arrived Everybody noticed that he was not much bigger than a mouse. The truth of the matter was, the baby looked very much like a mouse in every way. He was only about two inches high, and he had a mouse's sharp nose, a mouse's tail, a mouse's whiskers, and the pleasant, shy manner of a mouse. Before he was many days old, he was not only looking like a mouse, but acting like one too, wearing a grey hat and carrying a small cane. Mr. and Mrs. Little named him Stuart, and Mr. Little made him a tiny bed out of four clothespins and a cigarette box. Unlike most babies, Stuart could walk as soon as he was born. When he was a week old, he could climb lamps by shinning, shinning up the cord. Mrs. Little saw right away that the infant clothes that she had provided were unsuitable, and she set to work and made him a fine little blue worsted suit with patch pockets in which he could keep his handkerchief, his money, and his keys. Every morning before Stuart dressed, Mrs. Little went into his room and weighed him on a small scale, which was really meant for weighing letters. At birth, Stuart could have been sent by first-class mail for three cents, but his parents preferred to keep him rather than send him away. And when at the age of a month he had gained only a third of an ounce, his mother was so worried she sent for the doctor. The doctor was delighted with Stuart and said that it was very unusual for an American family to have a mouse. He took Stuart's temperature and found it was 98.6 degrees, which is normal for a mouse. He, was also, he also examined Stuart's chest and heart and looked into his ears solemnly with a flash. Everything seemed to be all right and Mrs. Little was pleased to get such a report. Feed him up, said the doctor cheerfully as he left. The home of the little family was a pleasant place near a park in New York City. In the mornings, the sun streamed in through the east windows and all the littles were up early as a general rule. Stuart was a great help to his parents and to his older brother George because of his small size and because he could do things that a mouse can do and was agreeable, was agreeable without doing them. One day when Mrs. Little was washing out the bathtub after Mr. Little had taken a bath, she lost a ring off her finger and was horrified to discover that it had fallen down the drain. What had I better do? She cried, trying to keep the tears back. If I were you, said George, I would bend a hairpin in the shape of a, a fish hook and tie it onto a piece of string and try to fish the ring out with it. So Mrs. Little found a piece of string and a hairpin and for about half an hour she fished, fished for the ring. But it was dark down the drain, and the hook always seemed to catch on something before she could get it down to where the ring was. What luck? inquired Mr. Riddle. What luck? inquired Mr. Little, coming into the bathroom. No luck at all, said Mrs. Little. The ring is so far down, I can't fish it up. Why don't we send Stuart down after it? suggested Mr. Little. How about it, Stuart? Would you like to try? Yes, I would, Stuart replied. But I think I'd better get my old pants on. I imagine it's wet down there. It's all of that, said George, who was a trifle annoyed that his hook idea hadn't worked. So Stuart slipped into his old pants and prepared to go down the drain after the ring. He decided to carry the string along with him, leaving one end in charge of his father. When I jerk three times on the string, pull me up, he said. 
and while Mr. Little knew in his, sorry, and while Mr. Little knelt in the tub, Stuart slid down easily into the drain, and it was lost to view. A minute or so later, there came three quick jerks on the string, and Mr. Little carefully hauled it up. There at the end was Stuart, with the ring safely around his neck. Oh, my brave little son, said Mrs. Little proudly, and she kissed Stuart and thanked him. How was it down there? asked Mr. Little, who had always been curious to know what places were like that he had never been to. It was all right, said Stuart. But the truth was that the drain had made him very slimy, and it was necessary for him to take a bath and to sprinkle himself with a bit of mother's violet, violet water before he felt himself again. Everybody in the family thought that he had been awfully good about the whole thing. Chapter 2. Home Problems Stuart was also helpful when it came to ping-pong. The littles liked ping-pong, but the balls had a way of rolling under chairs, sofas and radiators, and this meant that the players were forever stooping down and reaching under things. Stuart soon learned to chase balls, and it was a great sight to see him coming out from under the hot radiator, pushing a ping-pong ball with all his might, and the perspiration rolling down his cheeks. The ball, of course, was almost as high as he was, and he had to throw his whole weight against it in order to keep it rolling. The Littles had a grand piano in their living room, which was, all, which was all right, except that one of the keys was a sticky key and it didn't work properly. Mrs. Little said she thought it must be the damp weather, but I don't see how the damp weather... But I don't see how it could be the damp weather, for the key had been sticking for about four years, during which time there had been many bright, clear days. But anyway, the key stuck and was a great inconvenience to anyone trying to play the piano. It bothered George particularly when he was playing the scarf dance, which was rather lively. Rather lively. It was George who had the idea of stationing Stuart inside the piano to push the key for the second it was played. This was no easy job for Stuart, as he had to crouch down between the felt hammers so that he wouldn't get hit on the head. But Stuart liked it just the same. It was exciting inside the piano, dodging about, and the noise was terrific. Sometimes, after a long session, he would emerge quite deaf, as though he had just stepped out of an aeroplane after a long journey, and it would be some time before he felt normal again. Mr and Mrs Little often discussed Stuart quietly between themselves when he wasn't around, for they had never quite recovered from the shock and surprise of having a mouse in the family. He was so very tiny, and he presented so many problems to his parents. Mr Little said that, for one thing, there must be no references to mice in their conversation. He made Mrs Little... He made Mrs Little tear... Sorry... He made Mrs. Little tear from the n nursery storybook the page about the three blind mice. See how they run. I don't want Stuart to get a lot of notions in his head, said Mr. Little. I should feel badly to have my son grow up fearing that a farmer's wife was going to cut his tail off with a carving knife. It is such things that make children dream bad dreams when they go to bed at night. Yes, replied Mrs. Little, and I think we had better start thinking about the poem. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all around the house "'not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. "'I think it might embarrass Stuart to hear mice mentioned "'in such a belittling manner. "'That's right,' said her husband. "'But what shall we say when we come to that line in the poem? "'We shall have to say something. "'We can't just say, "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house "'not a creature was stirring. "'That doesn't sound complete. "'It needs a word to rhyme with house. "'What about louse?' said Mrs Little. "'Or grouse?' said Mr. Little. I suggest souse, remarked George, who had been listening to the conversation from across the room. It was decided that louse was the best substitute for mouse, and so when Christmas came around, Mrs. Little carefully rubbed out the word mouse from the poem and wrote in the word louse. 
and Stuart always thought that the poem went this way. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a louse. The thing that worried Mr. Little most... The thing that worried Mr. Little most was the mouse hole in the pantry. This hole had been... Sorry. This hole had been made by some mice in the days before the Littles came to live in the house, and nothing had been done about stopping it up. Mr. Little was not at all sure that he understood Stuart's real feelings about a mouse hole. He didn't know where the, ho where the hole led to, and it made him uneasy to think that Stuart might someday feel the desire to venture into it. After all... He does look a great deal like a mouse, said Mr. Little to his wife. And I've never seen a mouse yet that didn't like to go into a hole. Chapter 3. Washing Up Stuart was an early riser. He was almost always the first person up in the morning. He liked the feeling of being the first one stirring. He enjoyed the quiet rooms with the books standing still on the shelves and the pale light coming in through the windows and the fresh smell of day. In wintertime, it would be quite dark when he climbed from his bed made out of a cigarette box, and he sometimes shivered with cold as he stood in his nightgown during his exercises. Stuart touched his toes ten times every morning to keep himself in good condition. He had seen his brother George doing it, and George had, had explained that it kept the stomach muscles firm and was a fine, abdominal thing to do. After exercising, Stuart would slip on his handsome wool wrapper, tie the cord tightly around his waist, and start for the bathroom, creeping silently through the long dark hall past his mother and father's room, past the hall closet where the, where the carpet sweeper was kept, past George's room and along by the head of the stairs till he got to the bathroom. Of course, the bathroom would be dark too, but Stuart's father had thoughtfully tied a long string to the pull chain of the light. The string reached clear to the floor. By grasping it as high up as he could and throwing his whole weight on it, Stuart was able to turn on the light. Swinging on the string this way, with his long bathrobe tailing about his ankles, he looked like an old friar pulling the bell rope in an abbey. To get to the wash basin, Stuart had to climb a tiny rope ladder which his father had fixed for him. George had promised to build, to build Stuart a small, a small special wash basin, only an inch high, and with a little rubber tube through which water might follow, sorry, and with a little rubber tube through which water would follow. But George was always saying that he was going to build. But George was always going to say. But George was always saying that he was going to build something and then forgetting about it. Stuart just went ahead and climbed the rope ladder to the family wash basin every morning to wash his face and hand and brush his teeth. Mrs. Little had provided him with a doll-sized toothbrush, a doll-sized cake of soap, a doll-sized washcloth, and a doll's comb, which she used for combing his whiskers. He carried these things in his in his bathrobe pocket. And when he reached the top of the ladder, he took them out, laid them neatly in a row, and set about the task of turning the water on. For such a small fellow, turning the water on was quite a problem. He discussed it with his father one day after making several unsuccessful attempts. I can get up onto the faucet all right, he explained, but I can't seem to turn it on, because I have nothing to brace my feet against. Yes, I know, his father replied. That's the whole trouble. George, who was always listening to conversations whenever he could, said that his opinion, in his opinion they ought to construct a brace for Stuart. And with that, he got out some boards, a saw, a hammer, a screwdriver, a brad awl, and some nails, and started to make a terrific fuss in the bathroom, building what he said was going to be a brace for Stuart. But he soon became interested in something else and disappeared, leaving the tools lying around all over the bed bathroom floor. Stuart, after examining this mess, turned to his father and said, Maybe I could pound the faucet with something and turn it on that way, he said. 
Stuart's father provided him with a very small light hammer made of wood, and Stuart found that by swinging it three times over his head and letting it come down with a crash against the handle of the faucet, he could start a thin stream of water flowing, enough to brush his teeth in anyway, and moisten his washcloth. So every morning, after climbing onto the basin, he would seize his hammer and pound the faucet, and the other members of the household, dozing in their beds, would hear the bright, sharp plink, plink, plink of Stuart's hammer, like a faraway blacksmith, telling them that day had come and that Stuart was trying to brush his teeth. Chapter 4. Exercise. One fine morning in the month of May, when Stuart was three years old, he arose early, as was his custom, washed and dressed himself, took his hat and cane, and went downstairs into the living room to see what, we, see what was doing. Nobody was around but Snowbell, the white cat belonging to Mrs. Little. Snowbell was another early riser, and this morning he was lying on the rug in the middle of the room, thinking about the days when he was just a kitten. Good morning, said Stuart. Hello, replied Snowbell sharply. You're up early, aren't you? Stuart looked at his watch. Yes, he said. It's only five minutes past six, but I felt good, and I thought I'd come down and get a little exercise. I should think you'd get all the exercise you want up there in that bathroom, banging around, waking the rest of us up trying to get the water started so that you can brush your teeth. Your teeth aren't really big enough to brush anyway. Want to see a good set? Look at mine! Snowbell opened his mouth and showed two rows of gleaming white teeth, sharp as needles. Very nice, said Stuart, but mine are all right too, even though they're small. As for exercise, I take all I can get. I bet my stomach muscles are firmer than yours. I bet they're not, said the cat. I bet they are, said Stuart. They're like iron bands. I bet they're not, said the cat. Stuart glanced around the room to see what he could do to prove to Snowbell that he had good stomach muscles. He spied the, the drawn window shade on the east window, with its shade cord and, tring like, and ring like a trapeze, and it gave him an idea. Climbing to the windowsill, he took off his hat and laid down his cane. You can't do this, he said to the cat, and ran and jumped on the ring the way acrobats do in the circus, meaning to pull himself up. A surprising thing happened. Stuart had taken such a hard jump that it started the shade, and with a, loud with a loud snap, the shade flew up clear of the top of the window, dragging Stuart along with it and rolling him up inside so that he could hardly budge. Holy mackerel, said Snowbell, who was almost as surprised as Stuart Little. I guess that'll teach you to show off your muscles. Help, let me out, cried Stuart, who was frightened and bruised inside the rolled up shade and who could hardly breathe. But his voice was so weak that nobody heard. Snowbell just chuckled. He was not fond of Stuart, and it didn't bother him at all that Stuart was all wrapped up in the window shade, crying and hurt and unable to get out. Instead of running upstairs and telling Mr. and Mrs. Little about the accident, Snowbell did a very curious thing. He glanced around to see if anybody was looking. Then he leapt softly to the window sill, sill picked up Stuart's hat and cane in his mouth, carried them to the pantry, and laid them down at the entrance to the mouse hole. When Mrs. Little came down later and found them there, she gave a shrill scream which brought everyone on the run. It's happened, she cried. What has? asked her husband. Stuart's down the mouse hole, 